Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Good morning. Welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to see you each, every one of you here today. Let us pray. Our Father, we pray that your name would be hallowed all over the world and that the name of Jesus Christ would be praised. Father, we thank you that we can gather together today in your name. We pray that you would bless our time together, that we would enjoy the fellowship of your spirit, 
through the exercise of the gifts that you have given to the body of Christ, that we would build each other up, encourage one another, challenge one another, comfort one another, and that in all of this, you would be glorified and Jesus would be exalted. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Our call to worship reading this morning comes from the second psalm. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the land take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the, of the land. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the sun, or he will be angry. And you will perish in your rebellion, for his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. And this is the word of the Lord. If you're opening your scriptures today, we are in Luke's gospel, chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and we will be looking at the first 24 verses together today as we go along. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, we're going to pause right here. We mentioned in a previous message that Jesus had sent out first the twelve on an earlier occasion. Now he sends out 72, or 70, depending on which version you're reading from. Their mission is to canvas the entire region that he himself is preparing to visit. Every town, every village where he himself is about to go, the 72 are to go ahead of him and prepare the way. They'll break up the fallow ground for the Lord's visit. We also mentioned that the number 72 was special. The number 72 would have signaled something interesting to Jewish readers of that day, and we would be apt to miss it. The earlier mission of 12 would have signaled the calling of Israel. Remember, 12 tribes of Israel, the number 12 was special. A Jewish reader would latch onto that and say, 12, oh, we're thinking about Israel. This mission of 72 would have signaled to a Jewish reader the calling of the nations. Why is that? That's because a Jewish reader would have known their Bible. They would have known that Genesis gives a list of the nations of mankind, the people groups of the earth. 
Guess how many are there? That's right, 72. Or, or depending how you divide them, 70. That's why there's a difference in, in Bible versions on that number. The Jews would have understood that 72 was signaling the nations of mankind. While the purpose of the mission at hand was to precede Jesus in every town and place that he himself was about to visit on his journey from the north of Israel all the way down to Jerusalem in the south, it would seem that Jesus has chosen this specific number in order to signal his intentions for future missions to the nations of mankind. What will the purpose of such future missions be? Well, I suppose that Jesus' followers at that time would have expected that Jesus was indicating a goal of reaching all of the Israelites who over the preceding centuries have been scattered out amongst the nations. There was the Assyrian captivity about 700 years before Christ. There was the Babylonian captivity, and that was about 600 years before Christ. And so Israelites and Jews were scattered all over the nations. How would they be regathered? The prophets of old had foretold that God would regather all of his people from amongst the nations. I suppose that Jesus' followers at that time would have expected that this number 72 signaling a mission to the nations, they would say, oh, of course, Jesus intends to regather all of the house of Israel and bring them into the fold. This would have been a fulfillment of the prophecy that faithful Jews were anticipating. Isaiah chapter 11 speaks about it. Isaiah 11, verses 10 through 12. On that day, the root of Jesse, that's speaking of Christ. Jesse was the father of David, and David, it was promised, would have a descendant who would sit upon his throne forever. A descendant who would rule the nations. That's Jesus. So on that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. On that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people who survive. Dropping down to verse 12, he will lift up a banner for the nations and gather the dispersed of Israel. He will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Understand, Isaiah the prophet wrote at a time before the Assyrian captivity had happened. He wrote at a time before the Babylonian captivity had happened. And yet, looking past all of that, he speaks of a time when the Lord would regather, the Messiah would regather all of those who had been dispersed and scattered. I'm sure that would have been the expectation of Jews at that time who read about the mission of the 72. But I doubt that they could have guessed then that Jesus had even bigger plans in mind. You see, Jesus, I believe, was looking to the nations themselves. Not just the Jews and Israelites scattered amongst the nations. No, Jesus had bigger ideas. Not merely the Israelites who were scattered, but the nations themselves he was looking to bring them in. And this is no doubt why Jesus made the remarks that he did about the abundance of the harvest. He was looking ahead beyond his Jerusalem journey, beyond Jerusalem, beyond the other cities and towns of Galilee and Judea. 
He was gazing upon the whitened fields of humanity beyond Israel's borders that were waiting for the word of God. And it moved him to call upon his disciples to pray for more help. They simply had no idea what kind of field was awaiting a harvest. God was planning to bring the Gentiles to himself as well as the scattered of Israel. And this was a mystery to Jesus' followers. It was an unrevealed part of God's plan. It was hidden information. But like so many things, it was hidden in plain sight. I want to show you some scriptures this morning from the Old Testament that show how God's plan for the nations was there in the Hebrew scriptures all along but it was overlooked by many. It was missed. We read one of those earlier today in our call to worship in Psalm 2, verse 8. Speaking of the Messiah, the father speaking to his son says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. The father says to his son, Just say the word, just ask me, and I will give you the nations of mankind. They'll be yours. Just ask me for them. Psalm 117, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations. Glorify him, all peoples. Remember, the Psalms were written by Hebrew people who were the chosen, the elect people of God. But yet, here are these promises and prophecies that look forward to a time when all the nations, all the peoples will call upon the name of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. We won't read all of those, but in verse 1 it says, Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Dropping down just a piece, it says, But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips on that day. The root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance. Isaiah continues speaking about the nations. Isaiah 42, verse 1. This is my servant, speaking of the Christ. I will strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations, the coasts and the islands will wait for his instruction. Isaiah 51, verse 5. My righteousness is near, my salvation appears, and my arms will bring justice to the nations. The coasts and islands will put their hope in me, and they will look to my strength. But Isaiah isn't even close to being done. Isaiah 52, verse 10. The Lord has displayed his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. When it speaks about the Lord displaying his holy arm, the arm of the Lord is an expression for the Christ, the Messiah. It says plainly, the Lord will display his Messiah in the sight of all nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 52, 14, so he will sprinkle many nations Verse 7 of Isaiah 56, I will bring them, who's them, all of the nations of mankind to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer 
for all nations. I will gather the dispersed of Israel. I will gather to them still others besides those already gathered. Isaiah 60, verse 3. Nations will come to your light and kings to your shining brightness. And if we are not yet convinced, one last expression from Isaiah 66, verse 23. All humanity will come to worship me. Yes, faithful Jews of Jesus' day should have been anticipating that Messiah would bring not just the scattered of Israel, but he would bring the nations into the fold as well. It was hidden right there in plain sight. Jesus looked out upon the vast fields of the nations of humanity And he instructed his apostles to pray for more workers to bring in the harvest of future followers into his kingdom. But first, there's the mission at hand. The journey to Jerusalem where he's going to accomplish his exodus, his departure, and the establishment of a new arrangement, a new covenant between God and humanity. And this mission of the 72 is going to need some rules for the road. Let's look at them quickly. Picking up in verse 3 of Luke's gospel. Jesus tells the 72, Now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. You're going into a dangerous situation, in other words. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace, wholeness, wellness to this household and if a person of peace is there your peace will rest on him but if not it will return to you you're not obligated to stay there remain in the same house eating and drinking what they offer because the worker is worthy of his wages don't move from house to house don't make it look like you're just trying to gain a fortune from going from place to place No, whenever you find a place that is hospitable to you and receives your message, be content to stay there. Be content to eat what they provide for you. That's the message he's giving here. Uh, Heal the sick, verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. This was how Jews treated Gentile territory. People who were not in an arrangement with God, the God of Israel, whenever Jews had to pass through their territory, before they left, they would kick the dust off of their shoes and say, you're not part of God's community. We don't even want to take your dust home with us. (laughs) It was kind of a snobbish way that they, they looked at the people of the nations. But Jesus is saying here, you're going to Jewish towns and Jewish villages, but if there's anyone there who doesn't receive the message that I've sent you with, treat them the same way that Jews treat unbelievers. Treat them as people who are not part of God's community. And can you see the drastic contrast there? Jews thought that just because they were Jews, that they were part of God's people, God's community. Jesus is saying, no, if they don't receive my message, they are not part of God's community, regardless of what their ancestry might be. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near you. I tell you, on that day, 
And here we might pause to ask, Jesus, what day specifically are we talking about? Jesus is referring here to that end of the age day of the Lord, a day of judgment, a day of clouds. Apostate Israel would be judged when Jesus would come on the clouds. That's that day that Jesus is talking about, the day that the kingdom would come in power. We'll know that we're talking about that day because notice the theme of judgment that follows in Jesus' words here in the portion that we're about to read. There's going to be wrath for rejection. Jesus says it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town that rejects my message. Sodom, that was that city of ancient times that God destroyed with fire and brimstone, a city of great sinners, great wickedness. Jesus says, on the day of judgment that is coming upon this generation, speaking of his own generation, he says, Sodom will have gotten off easy compared to what the town that rejects my message is going to endure and suffer. And now he pronounces judgment over some of these towns and cities where he had done his most preaching and his greatest works. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. That word woe, it's, it's a term of, of pain and great burden. It, it speaks of a woman who is in labor in the midst of the travail of childbirth, and it's not going well. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, two other ancient cities known for their sin and their wickedness and rebellion against God, which were judged in ancient times, he says, if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon a judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No. You will go down to Hades, to the place of the dead. Here, Jesus compares some ancient cities that suffered divine judgment because of their sin and pride. He compares them with contemporary towns and cities which had heard his preaching and had seen his mighty works. He notes that those ancient cities had come under condemnation for offenses far less grievous than those which were being committed by the towns and villages of Galilee. What was the great sin of these towns? Namely, that they had the privilege of witnessing the words and works of God's Messiah in their very midst, and they were rejecting it. And they were not yet finished piling up the charges against them. Jesus' apostles, after his ascension, would continue to preach in these cities for the span of nearly 40 years. They would preach and perform the works of Christ in this region. Those who rejected would have no excuse. They would be worthy of the severest judgment of all. Jesus indicates that if the notoriously sinful cities of the Old Testament had had access to the privileges that Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum had enjoyed, they would not have been destroyed because they would have repented of their sins. And here is a sobering lesson 
for you and I to consider. We, brothers and sisters, we are responsible for the light that has been given to us. Have you heard the message of the gospel? I guarantee if you've been here, you have. You've heard the gospel, the good news of what God in Christ has done to reconcile you to himself. You've heard it. You're responsible for what you do with it. To reject so great a salvation makes us doubly damnable. As the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 10, 26 through 27, if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire that's about to consume the adversaries. When he says to go on sinning, he means to reject Christ and Christ's sacrifice for your sin. It's the only sacrifice that God has provided. To reject God's way leaves you with no way to be reconciled to him. The only thing left to such a person who rejects the good news is the bad news, a terrifying expectation of final judgment. We are responsible for the light that's been given to us. Someone says, preacher, what about the person living in the jungle who's never heard the name of Jesus? What about him? And I would say, that is only your concern insofar as it is our responsibility to reach such a one with the good news. But someone says again, but some are not reached. What of them, preacher? And again, I say, I don't know what God has decided within himself to do for such a one, but I find it consistent with scripture that he holds every person accountable for the light that they do have, not the light that they don't. You've heard the gospel. You're responsible for that. Someone who hasn't heard the gospel is not responsible for the gospel, but they're responsible for the light that has been given to them. And even the person living in the most remote jungle who has never heard the name of Jesus, has never had access to God's word, nonetheless has enough light to know that there's a creation that was made by a creator. And they can know something about that creator from the things he has made. Romans chapter 1 makes that very clear to us. They're responsible for that amount of light. What God's dealings are with such people who never hear the name of Christ, I do not know. But I find it consistent with the character of the Father that Jesus revealed to us that he is merciful as well as just. And he's ready and willing, even eager to save. And he rejoices when he brings to himself one that was lost. God is not a God who is looking for opportunities to condemn and to damn. He's the father who's waiting out there in the road looking for the prodigal. And when he sees him far off, he doesn't wait for him to return home. He runs to him and embraces him and receives him. That's the father that Jesus revealed to us. So I find it consistent with his character that God will be faithful and just in his dealings with even those who haven't heard the name of Jesus. What matters is that they have responded to the light that he has given. Make no mistake about it. 
We are responsible for the light and truth that's been revealed to us. We reject it to the utter peril and destruction of our souls. Jesus continues his warning with these words. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Whoever listens to you, the you in the sentences, Jesus' apostles, he tells the 72 that he sends that he is authorizing them to speak for him. Whoever rejects their message is rejecting him. And to reject Jesus is to reject the one who sent Jesus, that is the Father. Notice, there's no allowance made for the person who wants to say, I'm a God-fearing person, I'm a God-follower, I just don't accept the way of Jesus. I just don't hold to the teachings of Jesus' apostles. There wasn't going to be an opt-out for those Israelites, those Jews who would want to state that they preferred to hold on to Moses and the traditions of the elders and the altar and the animal sacrifices and the rituals and the temple and the old covenant made at Sinai. No, there wasn't an opt-out. We follow the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We follow the scriptures. We hold to the covenant. We simply do not follow the Jesus way. No, that wasn't going to be an option. Jesus says, no. If you reject the messengers that I have authorized, then you reject me. And if you reject me, then you reject the Father. You reject the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you will have nothing. Jesus concludes with some words to the wise. These warnings that Jesus gave, they weren't just for them. They're for us as well. We have the reliable witness of Jesus' appointed and authorized apostles. We have it right here. We have the words of Jesus' messengers. And to reject what the apostles have testified to us, it's to reject the one who sent them, Jesus. And to reject Jesus is to reject the Father, who sent him. Whether we flatly reject the teachings of the apostles, as many do, or whether we add to them by heeding the falsehoods of so-called prophets who claim to have new revelations about the Lord, they're easy to find, by the way. Turn on your TV, you'll find them. They're always speaking new words and new revelations in the name of the Lord. In either case, to reject this flat out or to add to it, we're rejecting the revelation of God. We are rejecting the light. We're responsible for that. One of Jesus' apostles penned these words. 1 John 2, 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. Years ago, there was a song that went, love and marriage, love and marriage. Go together like a horse and carriage. This I tell you, brother. You can't have one without the other. And so it is with Jesus and the one who sent him. You simply cannot have anything with God without Jesus. The testimony of his messengers is faithful and reliable. So I encourage you, heed the words of his apostles. Receive the Son that the Father has sent. 
As Psalm 2, which we read earlier in our service, said, Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. Kind of sounds like he was talking about that first generation that he was living in, right? For his anger may ignite at any moment, but all who take refuge in him are happy. It wasn't just for that generation, friends. It was for us as well. Receive the Son. All who take refuge in him are happy. I promise you will not be disappointed. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that you did send your Son. You sent Jesus. We thank you for the grace, for the forgiveness of sins, for the new life, for the gift of your Spirit, for the adoption as sons and daughters that we have in the new arrangement that Jesus made. Please help us to heed the clear warning. There is no opt out. There is no other way whereby a person may draw near to you and stand justified and be right with you. The only other option is the bad news. The news of certain fearful judgment. Father, we pray that that might not be true of any who hear these words, but that all who hear this good news will truly enter into it, receive the Son, take refuge in Him, and be blessed and happy. And you promise in your word, those who do will not be disappointed. They will not be put to shame. We thank you for your great provision for us through the Lord Jesus, the one that you sent. In his name we pray, amen. He is Lord. He is the God of Israel. He is the one that the Father sent. He is the provision that God has made to reconcile you to himself. God loves you. He truly does. And he wants to bring you near to himself. And he's made a way. But it is the only way. There is no other way. There is no opt-out. The only other way involves bad news and a certain fearful judgment. Don't opt out. Opt in. Be part of God's family. Draw near to him through faith in Jesus Christ. May the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ whom he sent and the fellowship of the Spirit which he has freely given to all who opt in be with you today, this week, and forever. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.